Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> We have just received a special message from Hawk and Cleaver Facebook group admin, Joshua Boucher. Valentine's Flash Fiction and Art Contest. Attention all cherub hunters, we have had enough. As such, we are putting a bounty on the big flying baby's head. That's right, Cupid himself. The plan is to defeat the little ruddy cheeked git with killer flash fiction and art, which means it's competition time. This time there will only be one winner. The rules are... 500 words, Valentine's Day themed, multiple entries are fine, deadline is January 25th, you can post your entry in the Facebook group, the winners will be featured on the podcast. Good luck and we can't wait to see what you come up with. So to enter into Joshua's competition, head over to the Facebook group, join and submit your flash fiction stories and art today and you might be featured on the podcast. Today's episode is Collaboration, written by Dan Howarth and narrated by Josh Curran. When people list the greatest artists of this century, they wouldn't think to include me. Not yet, anyway. But in the future? Whenever people refer to an artist who doesn't have an internationally known name or who hasn't been able to make a living off their work, they use the same word. Failed. A failed artist. A failed writer. Could you call me a failure? Perhaps. My art hasn't reached the audience I would have liked. I'm open enough to admit that. Have my peers from art school gone on to achieve success? Oh, yes. Despite their lack of originality and ambition, some of them are not only rich, but also famous. 
perhaps the most notable being Leonardo Ambrogio, famous for his concrete structures and his protests on the cuts to the arts by the Tory government. Of course, I know him when he was plain old Liam Ambrose, a story not many people care to hear. But just because I failed once doesn't mean it'll always be that way. My latest exhibition bombed. If I'm honest, I think I know it would. My paintings and carvings exhibited more doubt and desperation than vision and talent. When you create with fear instead of abandon, the results will never reflect your true abilities. Instead, I regrouped. Doubtless you've heard of the Angus Gallery. If not, you will, soon enough. The gallery is my fortress, the bedrock of my reputation in the art world. If I am indeed to be branded a failed artist, at least in the short term, then my exhibitions and curating skills will always be legend. How many gallery owners have had Banksy's people make contact and ask for a slot? I can't think of any. The success of my gallery has come from my willingness to take risks. I'll show you art you can't find anywhere else. Challenging, controversial pieces by artists you hadn't heard of at the time, but would later become household names. I take chances with this place I wouldn't take on the page or with a sculpture. It's the nature of the beast. I'm independent. A one-man band. I'm not like the Tate or a National Gallery, beholden to a board of snooty suits so far from the cutting edge that they can't even remember the way back to it. But things are changing. My approach in the gallery is bleeding into my work. It's becoming bolder, more vibrant, more expressive of what lies behind my eyes. I didn't expect the school to accept the invitation when I made it, though every education establishment in the country should have jumped at the chance to show its students round the country's premier independent gallery. But I can see why there would be reticence. Children expect art to be pretty pictures with a smiling sun in the top corner of the page, soft edges and bright colours. But... I came to know the head teacher of the Nolan Academy. In my line of work, I come to know a lot of people, some of whom have serious influence or money, which is basically the same thing. The head teacher, Mrs. Devonshire, agreed to let her children be challenged by art with a little persuasion. She saw the benefit of horizons being broadened in young minds, particularly at a time where funding and roots into the arts are being severed and castrated at every opportunity. I told her to send her year six class, kids on the cusp of high school. She agreed. What better way to send them into their final years of their education than a blistering exhibition on what their minds could produce? Magnificent. The future artist is Henry Buchan. Mrs. Devonshire hadn't heard of him when she agreed to the trip. Why would she? He doesn't exist. A pseudonym for someone else entirely. When I say the name Calvin Walsh, people's ears begin to prick up. 
I had to hide my smile when she agreed, and again when the bus pulled up outside the gallery. All those young minds and bright thoughts about to be punctured by the art of a convicted murderer. Now that is pushing the envelope. That's the kind of thing which gets you remembered. In my experience, Walsh is miscast. Yes, yes, he has done some terrible things. People have died and have been mutilated beyond repair at his hand. His mark on the world is an ugly bruise. But although a bruise is a blemish on the fabric of society, don't all bruises produce spots of colour? And colour is the basis of art. Before his crimes came to light, the tape displayed his sculptures in London. He won numerous prizes and commissions based on his prodigious and otherworldly talent alone. If you search his name online, the famous people who bought his art will not be listed. You cannot find the dates of his Tate exhibition. But it did happen. I saw it. After his conviction, I wrote to him in prison. A collaboration never crossed my mind until he suggested it. Letters graduated to the occasional phone call and culminated in an ongoing dialogue and numerous visits to him up in Broadmoor. We came up with a way for his artistic legacy to live on forever, beyond his life sentence and inevitable death behind bars. As the children file in with Mrs. Devonshire and are greeted by my assistant, I take a quick look at Walsh's last work, housed in its own special room at the end of the gallery. With the help of Walsh's brother, I saved the final sculpture he created before his incarceration, kept it for myself and this special day. Of all his work, it's the piece I love the most, and I'm honoured he decided to let me help him finish it. The sculpture stands over ten feet tall, all metal and mesh, dull grey metal. In the centre is a phone mast, the trunk of the tree, adorned with small satellite dishes and the original lights it housed to deter aircraft. Communication antennae strike out from it, branches of the tree, each one sturdy yet finishing in a point almost as thin and sharp as a needle. It's Walsh's comment on the modern world, nature replaced by technology. I adore it. I turn the house lights down, leaving the ruby red lighting that highlights the tree. If you know where to look, the needle ends glisten like laser beams. With my back to the door, I breathe in and check the bolt for the thousandth time. Showtime. I walk through into the main gallery and pull the door to the Walsh exhibition shut behind me. Smile in place, I greet Mrs. Devonshire. By the time the children queue up to enter the Walsh exhibition, they're tired. Most of them have fallen silent, cowed by the magnificence of the paintings and carvings they've just seen. I set them a quiz, and in the spirit of fairness gave those that struggled a few of the answers. They now line up 
on the line I've marked on the floor for them. Just the right distance from the door. Now it's time to see the final room of the exhibition, I tell them. This is the most special part of the gallery and the part I'm most proud of. Ten faces look up at me. Unremarkable features, a couple of bored expressions, apart from Mrs. Devonshire. As a failed artist herself, this is everything she's ever wanted. She sees us as kindred spirits toiling in the artistic doldrums. Not anymore. This is best experienced one at a time, so I will lead you in one by one until you are all in the room together. Mrs. Devonshire, if you come in last, you will get the best view of all. She smiles. All traces of her reticence to visit have passed. I've wowed her. She's already dreaming of taking the kids to other major galleries, making art a selling point of the school's future. It's written in her inspired expression. I lead the first child, a boy with blonde hair, through the door and pull it shut behind us. I slide the lock shut as quickly and as quietly as I can. I've soundproofed the room, but it pays to be careful. I put my hand on his shoulder as we approach the tree. What is this? It's a tree, I tell him. I don't like it. The thing is... I draw a blank on his name. Jamie. The thing is, Jamie, you have to get closer to see the pattern, to see the art within the metal itself. If you come with me and look real hard, you'll see it. You're the first in here. This is your chance to come top of the class. In my peripheral vision, I see him look up at me, but I'm focused on our destination. I guide him forward, forcing my hands not to shake. I'm tingling with excitement. It's chasing away my fear. It reminds me of losing my virginity. As we near the branches, I tell him to look closely. He leans forward, squinting comically. Taking a deep breath, I grab the back of his head and force it onto the nearest branch. The needle-like branch slides into his eyeball and up into his skull before he can make a sound. I bite my lip as he convulses, dark liquid cascading down his cheek and into his school uniform. After the longest beat of my life, he stops still, and I know he's gone. I step backward and smile. Walsh was right. I was able to rig it to support the weight of a body. My doubts about his abilities melt away, and I practically skip to open the door and bring in the next child. This one's a girl, jet black hair and bunches. I lead her in, the same as Jamie. She sees him standing there, but from this angle, there's nothing to suggest there's anything wrong with him. That's the genius of the piece. In the darkness and red light, there's so little to see until you're so close it'll make no difference. I guide her to the next branch. It feels wrong to lay a hand on a small girl, but I tell myself, 
There is nothing untoward here. Just art. Just legacy. At the last minute, she sees the blood dripping from Jamie's wound, but I'm too quick for her. And with both hands, I turn her head in the right direction. She lets out a whimper before the familiar pantomime of shuddering and twitching begins. As I lead the final boy away from Mrs. Devonshire, I see she's on her phone answering emails. A vein has appeared on the side of her face. It's most unsightly. The bus driver says we need to leave in five minutes. We'll have to wrap this up as soon as possible, she says, her voice terse and brittle. No problem. Give me two minutes and you can come in and see what the class has created for you. She smiles, but there's no warmth there now. She's fed up. She doesn't have the durability for this profession. Doesn't have the staying power. Art takes time and sacrifice. She's given me both, but I doubt she will ever give anything to anyone ever again. I arrange the final boy. The last piece slots in as easily as the others. Walsh was right. Kids are trusting. I think of the ease with which he must have committed his crimes, and wondered why I never dared to do something like this sooner. Why I've never expressed myself. Standing back, I admire the completed piece. It's so current, it makes me want to scream. A perfect metaphor for how technology skewers children and pulls them in. It works on so many levels. A comment on social media stealing kids' attentions. A comment on graphic images online stealing their childhoods. It's the most beautiful piece I've ever seen. I check my watch. Past 3pm. Walsh will be gone now. I'm not sure how we will be doing it, but his most recent letter told me that it would be his last. He will truly live forever. The door to the room rattles, and I hear muted pounding from the outside. Increasing in desperation, now she's put her phone away and realised the children are a locked door away. My time has come too. I stride forward, eyes fixed on the end point. There is no failed in my career summary now. There will be tormented, there will be corrupted perhaps, but never failed. There will be whispered words about my genius in certain circles. I find my own branch at just the right height. After today, my art will live forever. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Collaboration was written by Dan Howarth, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes and muted by Uncorps and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by zapsplat.com and freesound.org. Dan Howarth is a writer from the northwest of England. He has co-edited three anthologies. The most recent of these, Paradoilia, was launched by Black Shook Books in July 2019. His chapbook, Dulce et Decorum Est, is available from Domain Press and Dan can be found on Twitter via at danhoweth20. Once again, we received a special message from Hawk and Cleaver Facebook group admin Joshua Boucher. Valentine's Flash Fiction and Art Contest. 
attention all cherub hunters we have had enough as such we are putting a bounty on the big flying baby's head that's right cupid himself the plan is to defeat the little ruddy cheeked git with killer flash fiction and art which means it's competition time this time there will only be one winner the rules are 500 words valentine's day themed multiple entries are fine deadline is january 25th you can post your entry in the facebook group the winners will be featured on the podcast it's a good look and we can't wait to see what you come up with so to enter your short flash fiction story or cover art head over to facebook join the hawk and cleaver facebook group and submit today until next time